You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, Live Different Podcast listeners? You are about to hear another amazing episode, this time with my friend Pam Slim from Escape from Cubicle Nation. But first, I wanted to give a huge thank you for everybody who has sent me messages on Instagram at Matt Wilson TV. I love connecting with this community. It is what keeps me going. So if you have things you want to hear more of, want to hear less of, please let me know. If you just want to reach out and connect, that would be awesome. I would really appreciate it. I try to write back to every single message and do my very best to continue to build community. If I can ever be a resource for you, please just let me know. Also, you will see there on my Instagram, I wanted to give a thank you to the entire Under 30 Experiences community. If anybody out there is part of that community listening, I wanted to say thank you because we were mentioned in, not just mentioned, we were featured in Forbes magazine, which was a huge honor. You can check that link out in my bio there on Instagram. And just a huge, huge debt of gratitude out. Uh, saying thank you to everyone. Really appreciate you guys. And thanks for supporting me in what I do, my passions. Hopefully I can pay those positive things that I've been able to pick up along the way out to you guys. So thanks again, everybody, and get ready for Pamela Slim. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today I'm here with best-selling author of most famously Escape from Cubicle Nation, From Corporate Prisoner to Thriving Entrepreneur, Pamela Slim. I have known Pam for quite some time now. She is the founder of Main Street Learning Lab in Mesa, Arizona, a grassroots community-based think tank for small business economic acceleration, and uh, she has done some amazing work over the years. And instead of me rambling on about it, Pam, welcome. Let's hear it from you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Good to reconnect. Of course. So yeah, things are very lively around here on Main Street in Mesa. And so I'm about two years ago, we opened up this space with uh, the vision of really creating a really collaborative, community-led space. I know I'm sure many people who are listening to things like podcasts are used to working in a virtual sense, and it's amazing what all of us can do connecting with others around the world virtually. And I think there's nothing like also having real live human connections in person. And I'm seeing more and more people like myself that are creating more of a blend in business of both a virtual impact, but also having a very local impact. So we've been just growing and thriving here. We have a real focus on entrepreneurs of color or folks who otherwise may be underrepresented in our state of Arizona, <laughs> which tends to be many. And so it's just been great. We, we have all kinds of community events pretty much every evening, building the capacity of small business owners and connecting people with economic opportunities that are happening here. And then on my own business side, I'm really doing a lot of work, still loving doing work with entrepreneurs who are growing and scaling their businesses, doing licensing. And I'm also just polishing the proposal for my third book, which cross our fingers, I will be writing this year as well. Excellent. Yeah. What's your third book about? Are you, are you allowed to talk about it yet? Yeah. You know, 
I won't share details yet of the, you know, the title and so forth, but, you know, basically the big idea of it is for many years now, I've been in business 22 years, which has been a blast. And since 2005, so about the last 13 years doing more virtual business, where, as you stated, I started Escape from Cubicle Nation, starting with a blog. And in these years in which I've done lots of hands-on work with people and, and kind of watch the way that we're marketing and we're talking about how it is that we really build our business and grow, I've seen a very strong focus in what I call the empire model, where a lot of the advice is about you know standing out and being the sole expert and a lot of the context and the, even that the language we use and things like empires, you know, when you, when you look at historically at what's happened often when people build empires is good for the person who is at the head of the empire, but often not good, right? For everybody else who's kind sure. of smashed underneath, there's like strong colonial, you know, <laughs> over and undertones. And part of what I see in that, where also a lot of people then are striving to be the only person who's an expert and really sharing with others saying, you know, I am the one person who has the answer to all your problems. You buy my course and it will solve every single problem that you have. We know that not to be true because people are complicated. Problems are complicated. Mm -hmm. There are interrelated needs that we have for services. And so what I'm really bringing forth is actually we live in an ecosystem that is made up of many people who are experts. We can love and pride ourselves in expertise that we have in an area, and we need ourselves to be great in how it is that we deliver that service or that product, right? We want it to be the very best it can be. So that's a really strong part of it. And in this ecosystem where we're really looking at how can we help, I call it punching through the bag, which is a term Bruce Lee used. How can we really punch through the bag when it comes to helping whoever it is we want to help, for me, my passion is small business owners, really solve in a big way what their overall problem is. So for a company that's looking to go through growth, for example, there's help they need in their business model. There's going to be different help they need in marketing. They may need to run Facebook ads. They may need to totally upgrade the software that they use to run their business. They have to hire people. They need to you know, have new legal agreements around what they're building. And all of these are going to require this whole ecosystem of people who are going to help them to do that. So to me, a much more strategic way to think about business is usually the way it actually works, which is to see ourselves as really part of this ecosystem. It's a great way to find partners. It's a great way to find one-to-many watering holes where you have great amounts of people, right, that show up that are ideal for you. But it's much more collaborative, and it's where we don't have to pretend that I am the person that has all the answers, right? And my main job is just to build this empire that basically, to me, ends up being very transactional, right? Where you're just looking for more and more numbers and more people and you lose the humanity of what's going on. And it also presents a false reality of what it takes to solve complex problems. Wow. Yeah, that is something you certainly most likely see there on main streets in the flesh, as they say. And of course, all your your work online, Pam, I was walking down the street here in Austin, uh, where our office is based. And I was taking a walk with my business partner, going to lunch. And we looked actually across the street at it. Uh, office building that we almost rented. And I don't know, this was a year, year and a half ago when we made the decision to stick with co-working. 
And we were saying that, hey, thank God we're not paying $6,000 a month for this office space. And, you know, first of all, you don't want to be locked into this type of long-term lease, but, you know, the co-working model, it flexes with you and we have part-timers, et cetera. So that's all great. But the fact that we can interact with so many different people from so many different parts of the ecosystem and now, you know, even just the friendships, we're not building a business in a silo. We have friends at other companies in the co-working space and we'll go to trivia night with them or we'll do, you know, we did Secret Santa with another company this year. And it doesn't sound like, oh, that doesn't have anything to do with business, but it's important for the health of your organization. Yeah. What do you think? What do you see in there in, in Mesa, Arizona, in your physical space? Yeah, it's amazing. And you're exactly right. It's funny. It, it's a misnomer, I think, probably because a lot of the way we talk about community building is almost like a separate part, something that's aside from what it is that we do in business marketing. And to me, when you really look at it from the perspective of living in an interdependent community, right, where you take a philosophical stance, which I do, which is the well-being of my neighbor is really directly impacting my well-being. And I care about that person. I want them to be happy, healthy, well-fed, right? Have their kids taken care of if they have kids. And when we have this interdependency that it does make us feel better and more connected when we know each other, but it's also a super quick, faster path (laughs) to be building relationships and opportunities. If you look at, you know, referrals where every day being a business coach, when I'm helping people to grow business, people are like, who should I hire as a web developer? And do you know a good photographer? And what software should I use to program my social media things? I mean, a million times a day, people are asking me, about what it is that I should use given the work that I do. And so the more that I know people in my community, the more that I am going to be referring. And when you start to look at it from sponsorship possibilities for things like podcasts or for, you know, trying to decide where is it that you should speak in order to have, right, the most people who would be relevant customers for you. In this kind of a model, you're immediately figuring out when you get a sense of what's happening in your community who would be the very best fit. And there's a real intentionality that you're going to have around that, right? On one hand, deeply understanding like what your buddies do in the other company in your co-working space. So you can better explain it to other people, but also where you know that you can give a trusted recommendation to the people who are your clients, who you care so much about, you know? And so- my my friend who I'm working with on the proposal calls me like a weirdo unicorn as an author because I have sometimes to my detriment, it's probably why it takes me five years to write a book, you know, between books is because I believe really strongly that I want to actually speak from experience and authority of having done something before I will write a book about it. And some days I'm like, what the hell are you doing, Pam? Like, just make up some cool metaphor and write a damn book. And you probably like, you know, sell more and be done quicker. But it's much, much easier to make something up that sounds really cool and sexy and just write a book about it rather than to worry about does it actually work in real time in the real world? And to me, because I'm working with real people every day who work hard for their income, and so when they pay me, they want to make sure they're getting a good return, is where I want to make sure that what I'm talking about actually makes sense. So in coming here, when we opened up the Learning Lab in uh, September 2016, 
I did absolutely everything according to the model that I had been teaching and that I built around, you know, how you build a community. We executed it exactly here. Like I was no, I was known on like, you know, small corners of the internet. I've I've been around for people who have known me, but what's kind of fun and funny too, is in my own hometown, the place I've lived for the last 15 years in Mesa, nobody downtown had any idea who I was at all. Right. So it's just a whole, it's a whole different world, right? They're not reading blogs and on the internet and stuff usually, right? I mean, they're on the internet, but you know what I'm saying? It's just kind of a whole different world. So the challenge for me was to absolutely live and practice everything that I was saying that you need to do in order to build a strong, healthy community. And so part of that is, you know, listen first, spend a lot of time getting to know people, connecting, asking what people are doing, and then looking across an ecosystem map where I have been connecting with people in a whole bunch of different disciplines that may not seem always so connected to small business, but actually impacted. So like the mayor and the city council and the academic institutions, ASU and the community colleges and nonprofits that serve communities and artist groups and, you know, our large art center. And so in doing that and making the connections, it's really been fun because in a very short period of time, I really do know everybody and they know me and a lot of opportunities that I never would have imagined would come to be have really come to fruition. You know, I'm doing, I'm facilitate the plan, the strategic planning for the mayor and city council, which is kind of fun. You know, and I'm thinking again, it's fun to be of service that way, but how handy is it as well to begin to have a view into that side of what it is that's happening in business locally. Sure. And then through the different community building that we're doing to be providing service. Sure. I guess, as they say, think globally, act locally. That's right. That's so much of what you've said philosophically, and then you quickly backed it up with all the things that you're seeing literally on Main Street. But so much of the philosophical, the thinking globally, because we all can try to go out and and travel and see parts of the world, including Mesa, Arizona. But then, you know, you have to come, well, you have to be in one place, at least in the present moment, and acting around you where you're spending your money and how you're treating the people around you and the judgment that you're passing and how you vote, of course. It's really interesting because, Pam, I'm sure you've observed in today's day and age, we're so globally interconnected yet so distant from each other. You know, you get on a bus or on public transportation and you don't say hi to the people around you. You know, you don't chat up your neighbor anymore because they've got their headphones in and it's everyone's guilty of it. But you might be tapped in your headphones about, you know, listening to Pam and Matt talk about something, you know, a global issue and these are your people and these, this is the way that I think but then you're not understanding why all the damn people in your local area vote the way that they do because you're just so everyone is just so disconnected from one another so it's it's a crazy time to live wouldn't you say I would say that I would just slightly shift. We choose to be disconnected. And and you're right. Sometimes headphones can be a case where you notice that people are kind of willingly tuning out. Sure. But part of what I've noticed is in when you do choose to tune in more to who is it that's walking down the street or who is the person who owns your local cafe and who Mm -hmm. are the regular people who come and visit and just take the time 
tiny little bits of time to say hello to somebody, right? To just let somebody know that you care for them. It was really funny. I was speaking in Nebraska at a friend of mine's conference and we went to hear Warren Buffett speak. It was amazing. Warren Buffett and Charlie for the um, Berkshire Hathaway shareholders conference. It's like a historic cultural thing to do if you ever get the chance and they're definitely getting up there in age. So it's just so interesting and entertaining. Yeah. So it was a really amazing thing, but we were, you know, it was busy. And at lunchtime, there was like big lines for getting lunch. And so we were kind of at the tail end of it. We were standing in line to get some tacos. And there was a woman that was standing behind the counter. And I just stopped for a second. I said, how are you doing? You know, it's been really busy here. And she just kind of exhaled, you know, a big sigh. And she's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's been like super busy and crazy. And just took that tiny 30 seconds worth of time to just really see her and acknowledge her. And, you know, then she got our tacos and we, we moved on. About a week later, Andrew (laughs) called me and he said he had been sitting at a bus stop. He was like taking a walk and he sat down for a minute to take a phone call. And she stopped him and she was like, oh my God, are you the person that was like with that lady? Like that day I was about to quit my job and I was like at my wits end and, you know, I was just about to lose it. And just the moment of like, because she took that time in that moment to just say hi, like immediately I felt my stress reduce. And, you know, it was just one of those random things, right? It's like, it's the tiniest of little things, but the reason I feel powerfully about choice is we really do have the choice. We can say as, as a culture that things are getting where people are a little bit more separated, but then we actively choose to perpetuate that if we don't sometimes take time to just say hello to somebody or to slow down and really look somebody in the eyes or buy coffee for somebody that's behind you in line or all these little things that end up creating this really warm, wonderful feeling. And to me, it's been this real coming home because I'm from the Bay Area originally, and I spent about 11 years really passionately involved in capoeira, which is Afro-Brazilian martial art that I did for in my 20s. And so I was constantly in the neighborhoods and the streets, putting up flyers and talking to people all the time and recruiting young people. And so that was just so much of my life for so many years of being really in the community. Uh-huh. And then when I moved and you know had kids and then began blogging and had this also wonderful Narnia you know, virtual world that was great meeting people from all over the world, which I loved, but I really missed, I had kind of forgotten the power of what it feels like to walk downtown in your town and be like Norm from Cheers, if I'm not dating myself, right? With that metaphor. I know the metaphor. (laughs) Where literally like people really know you and like, it feels good. You don't feel alone. You don't feel isolated. So I'm, you know, I'm a big fan. And I think, yeah, the world's a little bit wacky here, but it's funny you mentioned politically because unbeknownst to me, like we ended up actually hosting a couple of political campaigns, you know, that happened here because people were coming and there were a couple local candidates, you know, that were running for like city council and different positions, state senator. And so we ended up like hosting that and, and being able to have this be a space where they ran their campaigns. You know, again, like seeing sometimes how things are interconnected, right? Where people sure. are working for social change. They're excited about also improving like economic change that's happening in a space. And so it's been really fun to be reconnected with those things. That's great. And I just wanted to add, wherever you go after work, it often sometimes can feel like, okay, this might be my neighborhood bar, but when you look around, oftentimes the people are very similar to who you are. Or if I go to the gym, 
I know that the people at the one specific gym I go to because it has a very certain focus, people are, are a lot like me. And so I have to disconnect from that. And I do more when I travel, but not as much when I'm at home where I can disconnect and have more conversations with people who are not like me. And I think that's so important. And Pam, I wanted to ask you more about you know, you come from the Bay Area, which most people probably understand or at least know the stereotypes about it. But then you went to Mesa, Arizona, or maybe not in that front. Maybe it wasn't quite so direct, but tell us more about your community because it's a unique mix of cultures, as I understand. Uh, and there's probably nobody better to hear it from than you who's living it. Yeah, it is. It was a huge change. So, and I did move directly. It was about 15 years ago. I moved okay. for love. So I met my husband, Daryl, and decided to move. And so, yeah, I was coming from the Bay Area where I was born and raised, fourth generation Californian. So it was a really big shift. And obviously, you know, grew up a pretty liberal liberal person in the Bay Area, right? As per kind of per stereotype. And so it was funny. I think in 2015, San Francisco was named the most liberal city in America and Mesa, Arizona, the most conservative. So it was kind of like going, you know, as an example of like having a real political difference um, that you can feel. Like a lot of times you can actually feel it in a cultural way, right? For what you can talk about and Mm -hmm. what priorities people have and values and so forth. So it's been a whole journey and a transition, I think, to coming here and connecting with this place. My husband's Navajo, uh, Diné. And so that has been wonderful to learn so much more about. Here in Arizona, we have 22 federally recognized tribes. And so all of the main metropolitan area of Arizona, I mean, like our entire country, right? But like there actively are tribes that are right here that still have tribal land. That's like, for example, right in the middle of Scottsdale, you know, that was all their land that was taken, you know, but now there's still people who live there on the reservations. And so that has been a really wonderful part of understanding this land and this interesting juxtaposition between having sometimes that, you know, very conservative view, not welcoming. Oftentimes it was really shocking to me. I know coming from having a huge connection with the Latino community and I'd lived in Mexico and Colombia and have had a really strong love and connection with people from there. And, you know, I just remember like watching television and hearing how it is that people were talking about Mexican people in general, you know, not simply around immigration, but it just felt like in general, it was so disrespectful. And I remember just thinking like, what would this feel like if I were a Latino child, like watching television and hearing myself and my people and my culture described this way, you know? So there's some really challenging things about it of just, you know, coming into a different part of the country and recognizing that uh, I call it being the weirdo in the room, right? Where like not everybody thinks the way that I think. And that is, has been a very important thing to recognize and understand. And in some ways, what's good when we do those stretches in different ways, not just politically, but, you know, culturally or, you know, meeting people that have a different background in life is we can learn really helpful things. There are also certain things where we can come back to our own foundation of values and ethics, right? And say, for me, certain things are never going to be acceptable, right? I can acknowledge and respect the humanity in everyone and, right, want generally not no harm to come, you know, to anybody, but I could still really strongly say, this is who I am and this is what I believe in, right? This is acceptable to me. This is not acceptable, you know, in terms of being who I am. But it's been really neat in the work we've done the last couple of years deliberately here in the learning lab to be connecting with different communities, Native American, African American, Latino, 
in particular who really have not been well represented at all in terms of opportunities that are here locally. And it's just been wonderful. You know, I had the erroneous impression a lot just walking around Mesa that those communities didn't live here. But then part of what I've learned is folks just didn't really feel welcome or like it was their place. So now that we've been able to create a good gathering place where people do feel at home and welcome, then you see like how many people are here. And then to me, my passion is in beginning to make connections with other people, right? And have people be aware of great speakers that they could have at their events or amazing service providers they could hire to be doing things. And and just to get more people involved in the economic opportunities that are happening here. Okay, that's really interesting. And for people out there listening and wondering or feeling like the weirdo in the room or or better yet, wanting to be the weirdo in the room so that they can go understand other cultures and ways of life, but still within their own community, it's difficult to find, oh, that's a place where I feel that there's some diversity. I'll, I'll give you an example. There is a bar that I absolutely loved going to in lower Manhattan called Whiskey Tavern. And it was in Chinatown, but it was across from the jail slash downtown in the area where all of the judges and the people who worked in the courts worked. And also, you know, in Chinatown, it's not just Chinese people, but also it's a uh, lower cost place to live. So you get interesting artists starting to move in. There's a, an ecosystem in Chinatown uh, where in all Chinatowns, as far as I understand across the world, is there's built in bodegas and food. and st- So it's an attractive place for people to live because they have everything. They've built their own little ecosystem right there. And the people who would walk through the door of that bar were so interesting and it was like cheers in lower manhattan but you knew almost all of the locals and it was a very diverse range of place where it was nice to have a beer and be able to talk to people who were totally unlike me and i could understand them a little bit better but for people who don't live above whiskey tavern like i do or uh, within a you know a stone's throw of the learning where you are in mesa california how can they find that in their own community Well, I think it's everywhere. I mean, you could kind of play a fun game of like saying, you know, whatever might be your opposite. So it's like you're Anglo and you think, where could I find folks of color, you know, and from any background, Native American, African-American, Latino, Asian, you know, as a start place, like you're a female and you're really interested in male or you're heterosexual. You don't really know anything about maybe trans folks, right? Or, Or LGBTQ relatives. And so from that perspective, you can almost start with like, what would be really different? You know, what would be a way that I could identify a community that's very different from my lived experience. And then that's where often Google is your friend. (laughs) Like sometimes when I'm on calls with clients, I'm like, I don't want to insult your intelligence, but they'll be like, God, I'm really trying to find out. Like, I really want to speak to accounting groups in Southern Illinois and I have no idea where to start. And I literally will Google in like accounting groups in Southern Illinois and you'll get, you know, a whole list of them. Like, Often very basic Google searches can get you to 
groups, it, kind of the one-to-many groups, I call it a watering hole, where you might know that there is a gathering. So you might have your black chamber or, you know, Hispanic chamber of commerce or something, right? If you're a business person and you're like, God, I realize I don't really know any Hispanic business owners, like where would be a place to start? And that could be a place to start is maybe an organization that really is a watering hole for folks. And part of being the weirdo in the room is getting comfortable with being a little bit uncomfortable. And for, I know I can only speak for my my people, right? Like my white people, <laughs> where I think a lot of the way that we're socialized, and I would say especially for white women, is where everything is really structured around us being comfortable at all times. Like the worst thing that could happen would be to feel uncomfortable, to feel unsafe. And I don't mean like physically unsafe, somebody's coming at you with a knife, but I mean, you know, maybe emotionally a little bit unsafe. Like oh, what wow. would it be like if I'm walking into a room filled with Native American business owners. And I know that historically there has been conflict and there may be certain feelings that folks have about having a white woman walk in the room, right? Sure. That's true. And that sometimes can be part of the uncomfortable experience, but you don't die from being uncomfortable. (laughs) And instead of, you know, a lot of the journey I've had over the years of being in many different communities, because I'm just always drawn that way, is just to realize I can just chill out. I can just listen and be curious. I don't have to have a big sign or say, you know, not all white women. And, you know, I'm not like that because, you know, often that's not the case. Like your people historically can have challenges sometimes, right? And discomfort with different groups because of an overall historical or institutional structure, right? So, So it's not like it really isn't personal if you don't know each other. You know, we can do something to specifically offend somebody, right? But in general, if you walk in and you notice that there may be a little bit of tension, that's okay, right? I'm one of the biggest things that I do is I just make coffee like all the time. I can have be hosting a group, maybe I don't really know anybody. And I love to do that. Like I'll be in the back, I'll make big pots of coffee. I check with everybody, you know, I'll kind of like gather plates. Like let's say people are eating here or having an event. Like that's one of my favorite things to do. Like be useful, be helpful. And in doing that, it's a fantastic way to begin to get to know people and have a conversation, right? And smile. And like, then somebody comes back and they want to get some more cream and you're like, oh, here's cream. And what brings you here? And what are you doing? You know, I think the first really helpful, it really is, it's a skill and a competency. And for anybody who's traveled, you know that, you know, that's kind of where I first developed as being an exchange student in high school, but you just learn, you don't die from being uncomfortable and you flex that muscle where soon you realize it's okay if I don't feel totally comfortable. And then I think the accompanying behaviors can be, I'm just going to sit back and be really interested and curious. So if I'm the weirdo in the room where I'm the only man in a women business owners event, like, let me just be super thoughtful, be helpful where I can be curious and interested and not trip out or not have to fall over myself apologizing for being the only man in the room. Right. Or not have to say, I'm not like one of these men or, you know what I mean? Just like be somebody who's interested because one of the biggest things I've learned that I'm really going to be writing about in the book about really casting this wider net and getting to know more people and building community is to spend so much more time just listening. I I couldn't agree more. And I love the coffee analogy uh, for sure. I'm, I'm just thinking about different cups of coffee that I've had around the world, but also in, in, 
just in the United States, I mean, geez, you can feel like you just had many cups of coffee around the world. You know, you have Asian people who put their condensed cream. When you said, oh, I'm going for cream, well, what are you doing? And, you know, but then, you know, you go and have a Cuban coffee with someone that's completely different. Or, you know, you can find a, a Turkish coffee or a Greek coffee. And then you realize, oh, those coffees seem very much the same. Why don't people from those countries get along as much? And you can dive into all the, I really like the coffee idea. There's a lot of good nuances there. Thank Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Pam. Yeah. So, you know, I definitely feel like there's all these kind of sides and dimensions we have to ourselves of just the human journey we have where so many more people are feeling isolated. Like make the choice to just extend yourself a little bit more, to be open, to be present and to be connecting with more people. And then I think for on the business side where you look at being sometimes feeling stuck or feeling like there's not enough opportunity or right, really not feeling creative or innovative in terms of how it is that you could be thinking about how you can expand your market or, you know, discover new markets. That's where you're going to be practicing being the weirdo in the room, right? And just try to bounce around in some different types of events and uh, challenge yourself to see what it is that you can learn and pay attention to what your thinking is. And in certain cases, you are going to feel like, yeah, you know, this is like people are really different, but it doesn't really feel like an extended long-term relationship that I want to build. You know, like I'm a liberal arts major and, you know, I, I can really enjoy scientists, but I don't necessarily want to spend all my time, you know, hanging out with scientists. But other times I've just found in so many ways in having this really rich soup of people that come from different backgrounds and perspectives, it just really amps up your creative thinking and very specifically can lead to a lot more business opportunities. That's great. And I want to dive into that in a second. But first, I wanted to ask you, Pam, if you think that Main Street is going away and what types of uh, changes that you are seeing where your corner store isn't as relevant now that you have Amazon Prime that's available in two hours or less. So I think that's Prime now, right? So you don't have to walk down the street to the supermarket anymore. And the jobs for the pickers and packers are really starting to go away with the robots all doing the work and, and stuff like that. So what are you seeing on Main Street and how can people maybe with brick and mortar businesses that traditionally have been very successful, but then maybe you, you might see them uh, start to be threatened by places like Amazon as obviously an easy example. Yeah, I think there's actually a more of a renaissance that's happening right now. What I always say, part of what I love about what we're doing here is it really is a laboratory and experiment for main streets everywhere. I have when I part of the what led to the idea to open the space is I did a 25 city tour throughout the US and then Vancouver and Canada teaching community building skills. And it was like the pre, I call it the unbook tour with a little nod to my friend Scott Stratton from Unmarketing, where it was testing and trying this different model of community building in different communities and places around the United States. And in many places, in Fargo, North Dakota, in Detroit, Austin, you know, we've seen a lot for having connections in different areas across the country, Webster City, Iowa, you know, people are looking deliberately at, there's a term that the Brookings Institute uses called an innovation district, which is where you're looking for kind of this revitalization of downtown areas 
sometimes economically where you have a combination, it's very ecosystem-like, like it's part of what tripped me out as we have an innovation district that's being built here in Mesa that I learned about after I came here and after I'd been working on ideas, mm. right? But part of it is you might have an anchor academic institution. So we have Arizona State University's graphic design virtual reality that's moving just like a block down from where I am here on Main Street. We have another Catholic university, Benedictine University. We have local businesses, you know, cafes and businesses. We have startup spots like mine. There's another co-working space working down here. And then you have residential where you have a lot of people who are, you know, doing residential activities. And then you also have a strong art and placemaking component. So we have a really amazing regional art center, the Mesa Art Center, that again, is just a block down on Main Street. So you see where it's meeting a whole bunch of different needs, you begin to have a district in an area where there's interdependent economic growth or actual bodies, you know, people that need food, you know, things like restaurants and things like that. The nature of what, when we talk about just main street businesses or brick and mortar business in general, we do have to live in the 21st century in terms of knowing the competition that we have for maybe basic kinds of items, right? So for example, you know, if you do have like a grocery store and there's like many grocery stores everywhere and people can just get it delivered to their house, there could be something that's very unique that you might have in a downtown area that would be for the fact that people do live down here, they're walking all the time and they want to pick up groceries much like Europeans do, you know, like picking up some fresh produce or something without having it delivered. Or you look at places like cafes, which we have here, a number of cafes here on Main Street that are really rich gathering places where they have, you know, they display art and they have musicians come and we have spoken word. And, you know, you begin to have it also where it's kind of this entertainment community connection. It's not just the place that you go to buy coffee where you can just get it generically, you know, somewhere through a drive-through. So for sure I'm seeing the businesses on Main Street that are aware and connected with the trends that are happening in business in general, right, are smart in terms of how it is that they're operating. There's a toy store, Amy, who runs it, used to be right next door to me, and now she's just in the building behind me, and uh, called Lulu Bell Toys. And she has really amazing, beautiful curation of just really cool different kinds of toys, you know, that she gets from around the world. And she's just a really cool person. And so she has a very unique business where she also has an internet component to what she does. So she sells a lot of her stuff online, but then she also has this very cool curated local space that you're just not going to get when you're like flipping through Amazon and the internet searching for different toys, right? It's an experience that you have it's the human connection. And it's where you do start to build this natural flow of like what kinds of businesses actually make sense for us to have down here downtown. So if you're just trying to compete with a generic, you know, a store that can totally beat you, right? In terms of what it is that you're offering and there's no unique experience and there's nothing to it, then those are the businesses I think that are not going to make it, unfortunately. Sure. No, that that makes a lot of sense. And I was sitting in a coffee shop this morning in Austin writing and I looked around and I felt very lucky to be in that physical location where I was because so first of all the coffee was very good and there were creative people around me which I really appreciated the coffee shop was not called Starbucks (laughs) and to the right was a dog was a dog sitting 
place where they on the, they had a sign where you could watch your dog 24 hours a day on webcam. So people were coming right. in and out to drop their dogs off before work, which I thought was kind of hilarious. In this day and age, we have solutions for everything. Across the street, there was a, God, I'm making, it's very stereotypical Austin. It was a CBD place going in across <laughs> the street. And right. I was like, oh my God. And next to that was a funky looking hipster couch, a reupholstering place. And, I, and it said since 1992. And I thought, wow, this is a funky little corner. This is, you know, it sounds very Austin. I'm almost making a mockery of it at, at this point. But it was inspiring. It was creative. But people don't always have that little downtown area. Hmm. So if, if people are out there and they're in a place where it's like, oh, I am in Orange County, California, and everything is corporate, and I don't feel inspired because everything, <laughs> yeah, because it, it does feel very corporate. What advice would you have for those people? Move. Okay. Um <laughs> I mean, you know, in some ways it depends, right? It depends sure. if you're if you're really looking to have a certain kind of lifestyle. And there are many people who specifically are looking to move places that are downtown. And for some of them in big cities, right? Downtown Phoenix has had tons of growth. I mean, massive growth. We've, and we've seen it with the tech scene and people moving downtown. And, and, you know, some of it's had a detrimental effect, right? On businesses that have been there for a long time and on communities as happens, right? The line between gentrification and growth can be tough, but Definitely there are places like Austin, like Mesa, you know, like a whole bunch of little places. Louisville, I just had a client here from Louisville, Kentucky yesterday, who is amazing. She's a nonprofit consultant. Her name is Whitney Bishop. And she's moving into this space in Louisville, Kentucky, that's this really cool old building that now they're making into this whole like co-working and launch space and there's a training thing and it's like the perfect example we were saying it's almost like that you have the big main cities you know the huge cities that people are drawn to for you know good jobs reasons or whatever sure but then you have a lot of cities that can often be surrounding that you may not have the glitz and glam of right the cultural the nightlife or something like that or the super fancy restaurants but it's where you can begin to see some of the character happening you know so it could be that somebody's like this is where i live and it works for job and family but then maybe you can take little you know day trips right out to different funky parts of la of which there are many really interesting right places sure. if you if you look hard for it the other piece would be where you say I am in one of those cool places, but it's not really a cool downtown. And that's where you could start to look for other people who may be excited about the vision. One of my clients, somebody who actually won a contest I had for Body of Work, uh, when that book launched, uh, her name is uh, Deb Brown, and she was the head of the Chamber of Commerce in Webster City, Iowa. And uh, I love her story because she is super passionate person, very, you know, community driven. And there, when she took over as head of the chamber, there was like 11 buildings in the main street downtown that were empty. You know, it was just really that ghost town thing that happens a lot of places. The movie theater was about to close, you know, and, and everything. And, uh, she did this whole like really creative tour where she had like these tours where people would come in and she would help them envision like what it is that they could create in those buildings. Sometimes they're companies that want to move in a downtown area, right? 
right? As opposed to like a generic office park somewhere. But within, I think a couple of years, she had all those buildings filled. They did a whole campaign to like take back the movie theater and to relaunch it as this amazing community space, right? right? And it's never just one person. That's often where you get a number of people that are working together in a community that have a shared vision. And sometimes it just starts with one building, right? Where you're like, oh, this is a really cool building. Who could we get together in order to work on it? You know, Absolutely. my dad, I told this story in Body of Work of my dad in his tiny little town in, in Northern California, Port Costa, California, where he and my bonus mom and, and a few other volunteers are only 200 people in the whole town. And they bought with funds that they had raised through recycling as volunteers for like 13 years, an old hundred year old school. And for about 40 years, they carefully have been restoring it, you know, and grant writing and doing all these things in order to have it be a community center that's really accessible by the community, you know? So like that's, that's, that's what I grew up with. That's what I've seen. Uh, my dad just passed away on June 1st, but it was like, that's part of what gets me excited about what possibility is, you know, kind of this thread for our conversation where you can say, God, the world is really screwed up. You know, everybody's disconnected. You can choose to do something differently about it. Or if you say we need to have more life and vibrancy in our downtown, then I'm always like, well, stop talking about it and start doing something. You know, sometimes it's surprising, throw some money together, you know, with people, be creative and, you know, you can start to have revitalization that happens. It's not a short term win. Like uh, there have been people here for decades in Mesa that have been working hard with this vision of the growing downtown. And like now we're really beginning to see the fruits of that. Like I'm the, I'm the lucky person who's come in just the last couple of years, right. To begin to see this acceleration where I think we're going to end up being really a place that a lot of people will come for inspiration, but it's because there've been a lot of people that have believed in that vision for a long time. Excellent. Well, let's get into before we wrap up some of the ways that people can make sustainable businesses out of these opportunities because I don't know anything. I I mainly know about online businesses. I don't know a whole lot about brick and mortar and how much like to start a coffee shop, I would have really no idea how that would be, you know, and that's probably one of the first things that people will think of. Oh yeah, this place needs a funky little coffee shop where people can connect and it can be a share the cup of coffee like we were saying. But what are some steps that people can take if they have that area in their head that they say, yeah, this place is ripe for revitalization. I want to be a part of that. Yeah, I think it is in looking at, so you're not taking on something entirely yourself. It really is a unified effort. It's part of where you do look at different parts of your ecosystem. And you might say, is there anything that has been targeted where, you know, my city is interested in putting some energy into revitalization, you know, within a certain area. And then if you are part of the business community, even though not everybody, again, has to have that brick and mortar business like a cafe or like a clothing store, a bookstore, you know, the things we typically think to be brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can be where you have businesses that could be internet businesses like mine. And like during the day, I'm coaching people all over the world from my computer, you know, my clients are everywhere. And Part of having that business is what sustains my ability to provide free space for community-led events that are happening in the evenings and on the weekends, where we have tons of stuff happening here. And that can be when a way sometimes to look at a hybrid of not immediately, you know, it's a chicken or the egg, where you have an area that doesn't have tons of traffic, 
if you have to generate all the marketing energy just to get people to physically visit your space, that can be hard. So you could look at things like my friend Amy from Lulabelle Toys, where she has a vibrant online presence where she's selling her stuff. And she can also have a physical space that's reasonable, right? That works for her financially, where she is able to be selling things or where you have people who, you know, companies that choose to, you know, you could work with different companies that are looking to expand or create a satellite office or something. And for a lot of companies too, that are bored by really generic buildings, it can actually be exciting to sometimes move into different downtown spaces. You know, you could look at projects with co-working spaces. We have Cahoots, which is a co-working, really cool independently run co-working space in Phoenix. And now Jenny and her husband are opening up a space here in Mesa. And, you know, that's been a long process where they're coordinating with a lot of the local city folks and academic institutions, you know, to do some partnership and collaboration. So I think the first step is to listen first and to get a sense of who is already here, who has ideas, who is working on stuff, and then begin to look at how you could maybe start to get some things going. And I I really do believe in this hybrid business. Like I'm as pro, I get as nerded out as you probably do, you know, for internet businesses and the power of what you can do with Facebook ads. And there's really cool stuff we can leverage technology for to make our businesses stronger. But then we could see what actually would be things that would be useful in a local area. And you're right. Sometimes it is a really awesome coffee shop. That's great from just outside of New York City, an hour, hour and a half. And there's a small town called Beacon, New York, which has a very, you know, when I lived near there, it was basically boarded up Main Street. Literally, it was boarded up Main Street and nobody wanted to be nearby. And, you know, some artists moved in and the town started to change and be on the up and up. Of course, it's had lots of impact and unintended consequences on the area as well. But it's you know become like this little mini Woodstock getaway for people from the city. And now I'm even finding my friends who I knew from the startup scene in New York living in <laughs> Little Beacon, New York. And it's fascinating. So it's fun to see. Yeah, another one came to my mind in downtown Philadelphia. It was a venture capitalist who had a kind of an art gallery slash maker shop slash co-working space and it Hmm. was right there where people were making art and making three things on 3d printers that's exactly right that's kind of this whole idea of the innovation district you know what i always say from the community advocacy perspective is be in conversation with the community there's a lot of assumptions people can make just because people may not have as much resource right that they don't have ideas or don't have a vision for it or they don't have right great ideas of what it is that they want to create and that's always going to be the balance and the tension, I think, right? When you do have development is where it's not like it goes back to the overall theme of colonial patterns that we inhabit sometimes of like, hey, look at this place. Like nobody's here. You know, let me just take it over and do stuff with it. Where always a good question to ask is actually who really is here? (laughs) Who's not here? Why aren't they here? And how can I make sure that I understand and connect with efforts that are underway? to be a benefit to people who have been in the neighborhoods for a long time, and then also to be seeing like what would really be something that could be mutually beneficial and and vibrant. And it's not a perfect science, but I, I just find if you are really taking that broader perspective of really thinking about, I love my, my best friend, Desiree Attaway, who does a lot of work around inclusion. 
I love a design principle she always talks about of saying, you know, whatever you're thinking about designing, design it for whoever may be the most marginalized person, right? And so when you think about that and like, what's the reality if somebody has, you know, is like, has a, some kind of physical challenge, right? Where it's hard for them to access something or because of who they are, you know, they're trans or they're, you know, a person of color and they're going to have a harder time in their lived identity for when they walk down the street, right? Of being accepted. When you're thinking from that perspective of how can I design something that would really be a great match that would feel open, welcoming, and be a fit for that person, then often by design, it means that you're overall creating something that's going to be super inclusive, right? Because that's what we want. There's, you know, so much talk and I know people get, have views and get triggered and throw around terms like politically correct and all that. You know, personally, I just find that's so, it's such a limited way of looking at it. You know, for me, it's the perspective of, I want anybody who I run into and who I connect with to feel honored and respected for who they are and to have terms used that are historically accurate and that feel good and feel like they're legitimately, you know, representing who somebody is. So by doing that, to me, I don't walk around feeling like I can't say anything and I'm restricted and, you know, things are bad because I can't, you know, say stuff. It's more, how amazing is it to like create a world in a community where whoever walks in the door is going to feel embraced and loved for who they are. And we're all really deliberate and learning every day about, you know, historical terms that have been used. And it can be more like, oh my God, that's so cool. I had no idea now that I know more about you. Like now I can totally see why that term would be super offensive. Like why would I ever want to do something to deliberately hurt you? Right? Sure. But that's based on having that connection. That's based on knowing each other, on experiencing, you know, each other's lived experience. And then it ends up making the kind of environment where no matter who somebody is, we can all be proud and own who we are, but we also can feel like we are loved and respected. And to me, like, that's what I want. That's what I want for my kids. That's what I want for my friends' kids, you know, for everybody. I don't want somebody to walk through life like, unfortunately, many people have done for a long time, grinning and bearing it, right? Or just Mm -hmm. kind of seething underneath with having, you know, terms or things that are used that are like historically inaccurate or are offensive. Like, I don't really see where that's benefiting anybody. And then we wonder why people are pissed off and give us a side eye when when we walk into a room. No, I, well, I'm just glad that you have the perspective of both sides of, okay, some things are historically inaccurate and you and I may be ignorant to many, many things, are for sure ignorant to many things out there. And we may show up somewhere one day and misspeak, but it's better to try to connect with the people around you and just ask, be inquisitive and be curious, I think, as, as you said, And you learn, yeah, that you learn and everybody can, we have some type of cultural exchange, however, however small it may seem, that's important. So thank you, Pam, for doing what you do. My pleasure. You know, to me, it just makes like the world a a happier, more connected, more abundant, you know, more fun place. And it's not like a limiting view. It's one that actually expands into having so many more people to love, you know, and, and so much, so many deeper ways to understand. And just to know, like so many people are very forgiving. All I have to say is like, Oh my gosh, I had no idea. I am so sorry. You know, sure. like now I know 
and thank you for telling me. Like, sure. I really appreciate that. That's often the place I think a lot of people stop. And then it's like, oh my God, I was judged or I can't go anywhere and I'm always being attacked, you know? And again, if we, speaking for myself, for my own, you know, white female relatives, <laughs> if we can just learn to be able to have a little bit more grit and tenacity and to know that it's okay to feel uncomfortable, it's okay to mess up, you know, make a mistake, it's just going to be better for all of us. We feel stronger, more capable, and more connected and more in support with other people in the world. That's great. For homework, I'd like to give people the Bernie Brown's Braving the Wilderness. She gives such a good example of that where she misspoke. Uh, at a talk one time and well, you know, she had to get over it. And so did the other person and they moved on and it's better than just being quiet and keeping to yourself. So that's right. Pam, I want to be respectful of your time, but if people want to connect with you offline and online, where can <laughs> they find you? Yeah. So PamelaSlim.com is the best place. And so if you want to connect in person, you're cruising through Mesa. I'd love to see you. Just uh, all my contact information is on my website. So you can drop me an email and uh, to connect. And also my social handles are there as well. Great. Sounds good. Well, Pamela, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me.